This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Tom Antion. He's never held a job. He's an internet millionaire, the guy next door and founder of the only licensed dedicated internet marketing school in the country. He's the subject of a Hollywood documentary, American Entrepreneur, premiering later this year. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Roman. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about your story, kind of your journey from, you know, how you were and where did you get to where you are now? Well, it, it actually goes way, way back. In fact, that documentary is not only about me, but my dad. Uh, my dad came from a town in Syria called Antioch as a little boy, and they named you where you were born in those days. So his name was Simon from Antioch. Like, uh, and so he gets into Ellis Island and, and they can't read it. So they're like, what, what is it? So that's how I got my name is Antioch. So uh, they, they misread uh, Antioch area. And then he went on to become an entrepreneur, but he was only 10 years old and uh, starting to become an entrepreneur, which is kind of interesting because I did also at 10 years old. And uh, he put the first electric light bulb in Carnegie, Pennsylvania. He was just enamored with electricity and, and uh, he had actually had his own electrical contracting firm at 13 years old. So Anyway, he's been entrepreneurial all his life and uh, made me into an entrepreneur. And then I've been, you know, helped thousands of people become entrepreneurs. So, so that's how it actually got started. But I've had all kinds of businesses doing stuff that I enjoyed and some that I didn't enjoy. I mean, I was in gunfights and knife fights. I owned a nightclub for six years, bikers trying to kill me. And, and uh, since I've been doing what I'm doing now, not one person has hit me with a beer bottle. Pretty good. Yeah, it's always a plus. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of what you're doing now, how did you end up getting into it? Well, uh, I've been a professional. I was an entertainer uh, since 1988, and I got into the professional speaking business where I travel all around the world doing speeches. And, and uh, at the time, you know, we were selling, people like me, we sell tapes and books and stuff at the back of the room. This was in the early 90s. And then when, uh, you know, but it was hard enough to sell your stuff across the street, let alone around the world from your desktop. So when the uh, commercial internet came along in 1991, I thought, I'm going to figure this out because this is great. I love this idea. I can be in my basement on my computer and selling stuff all over the world. So I pretty much, uh, you know, had no success for the first two years. And uh, then I got good training from a guy. He's, he's, he was in an unfortunate uh, racing accident and has passed away now. But his name was Corey Rudel. And he was like the 30-year-old grandfather of internet marketing. He, uh, he uh, was making like $5 million a year from his apartment. So I got good training from him. And then uh, four years later, I was a multimillionaire. And I enjoy it to this day. So it's... Uh, you know, it, it's getting good training and being one of the, the big you know, messages I wanted to get across today is being excellent. So, so I was trying desperately to sell my own stuff. And 
then I got so good at it, people started begging me to teach them. I had no intention of being Mr. Internet Guru. I was trying to just sell my own stuff. But one of the things my dad taught me was to be really great at what you do and people will notice. And so not only do I sell my own stuff, people begged me to teach them. And so it made an additional revenue stream. And then I helped all these entrepreneurs. I mean, we've had 1,700 of them in my uh, big program over the years. And, and then tens of thousands have, uh, you know, helped heard me speak around the world. So, so it was basically in an effort to be excellent selling on the internet and being able to sell my own stuff. That's, that's how I got where I'm at today. And how are some of the ways that you, uh, you help people in terms of live or via the internet, that kind of thing, some of the, the ways that you do help? Well, uh, most of it is uh, via the internet nowadays, although I have a very unique facility. It's the only uh, facility of its kind in the world where you actually come in as we have a big estate in Virginia Beach, a TV studio and a big kind of mansion place. And, and people come in from all over the world to actually live in the house with me uh, in, in an immersion weekend. So that's most of the time, other than when I speak, that's how, how they uh, work with them live. But most of it is distance learning. You know, we have so many nice tools like you and I are talking on Zoom right now and we had Skype for years and there's all, all kinds of methods to be able to interact and work with people now. So that's mostly what I do is uh, people get into my program and then I have, uh, and, and one of the things that I specialize in that nobody at my level will do is I always do one-on-one because I hate this thought of group coaching where if you're a beginner and I'm talking to you, the advanced people are wondering why in the heck did we give this guy any money? And if I'm talking to them, the advanced people, the beginners are lost. So I just don't think that's fair for people to be in that situation and it's very inefficient. So. Uh, I have a program where you can talk one-on-one with me and my entire staff who I've trained so that we really, really can help you where you are and not just lump you in with a bunch of other people and cross your fingers that you're going to be successful. No, I agree. I think a a tailored approach and uh, one-on-one level is important to any type of learning out there. For sure. So what are some of the things that you've had to go through in terms of things to overcome over the years and how did you overcome them to get to the point where you are now? Just maybe some people are going through the same things, how you managed to adapt and kind of overcome. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things I've done is, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit cliche because, uh, you know, when I first got into speaking, I was talking about humor in the workplace and how keeping humor in your life can help you overcome adversities. And, and I had my share of them. So uh, I had this nightclub where I was, you know, I had to, in my youth, my dumb youth, I was, I took over a biker bar and I decided to turn it into a nice family restaurant and a really nice high level nightclub. And this was in Morgantown, West Virginia, which isn't really known for fancy stuff, I tell you that. Um, So these bikers, you know, I don't know, call me crazy. They didn't like that. And so I was in two gunfights, knife fights, over 100 violent confrontations. And I finally, you know, I lived through that, uh, luckily. But after seven days a week uh, for six straight years, and, you know, going to bed at four or five in the morning, doing up every day, seven days. You only got four days off a year. And, and New Year's Day didn't count because you were so tired from New Year's Eve. You know, so, so with all that, then one swipe of the legislative pen, the drinking age went from 18 to 21. And 
totally wiped me out. I was on my way to being a millionaire before I was 30 and it just wiped me out. And one of the things that I refused to do was go bankrupt. You know, my dad always taught me, you know, if people trust in you, you don't betray that trust. And, and not that bankruptcy isn't a, a valid thing. It's just that I was just not about to do it. These people that I owed money to, the beer companies and the pizza companies and all this stuff, I was not about to, to screw them over. So I, I went to them in advance. I didn't let them chase me. And I went to them and I said, look, here's what happened. You know me. It's not my fault. I wasn't just partying and getting drunk. In fact, I'm allergic to alcohol. So it's perfect to have a bar when you don't drink it all up. You know. And so I made deals with them ahead of time and said, I'm going to pay you off no matter what it takes or how long it takes. And they all said, Tom, we trust you. And I did. I paid them all off, did not go bankrupt. But then uh, a partner I had uh, canceled our health insurance and didn't tell me and I got injured. And in 19, let's see, it was around 88. I was living uh, after being Mr. Big Shot in the whole state. I was living in a vacant house on a mattress on the floor, had torn my Achilles tendon, no health insurance, living off credit cards and uh, watching a black and white TV, which probably you don't have never even seen one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long time ago. And uh, and I, I had this, uh, you know, I was like the lowest point in my life. And so I surrounded myself with humor books. You know, it was all I could do. I was by myself. My girlfriend had long gone and, you know, I'm there by myself. And so I just kept upbeat, upbeat, upbeat. And then I was watching Candid Camera. I don't know if you know that show or remember it, but it was long before like punk, you know, it was a, a practical joke show. I'm watching Candid Camera on a black and white TV, and I said, you know what? People love that show, but they, uh, they couldn't participate in it unless they happened to live in California and get caught by the candy. So I, I, I had a brainstorm, and I doodled a little devil sticking his tongue out at you, and that's now my federally registered trademark for a company I started called Prank Masters. We custom-designed practical jokes. So I got better. I moved to Washington, D.C., and I starved to death for six months. But then uh, the Washington Times did a feature article on this crazy company, and I started getting busy. And then Washington Post picked it up, and then Associate, Associated Press picked it up. And pretty soon I'm doing like the Tokyo Today show, and I mean, it's just going crazy. And uh, I attribute it all to staying upbeat in the face of adversity, because at the lowest point of my life is when I got the idea that totally propelled me into the entertainment and then the speaking business and then the internet world so so if you can if you can somehow keep upbeat in the face of adversity and humor did it for me and it does it for a lot of people i think uh, that's a way to overcome a lot of the bad things that happen to you in life no i agree and i think that's important regardless of you know where you are in life what you went through or what kind of you know career you have if you're working for somebody or you're working for yourself sometimes it just feels like everything's going right and then everything starts toppling over and yeah. that's like the moment you either you know make a choice you either go one way or the, the other right. and just pivoting as fast as possible and learning from it and moving on is the best way to go you know even in relationships roman uh, i, I uh, was up in outside the dc area doing this this practical joke company they had a washingtonian magazine and in the back this is long before Match.com and all this stuff. There was a personal section. So you put these little classified ads if you're looking for a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband. And, and I kept them for a long time. And I started uh, 
counting all the ads up and then I counted the ones that had something about they either had a sense of humor or they wanted somebody with a sense of humor. 70% of the ads over a period of many years said they either had a sense of humor and they were bragging about it to try to get a spouse or they wanted somebody with a sense of humor. So it's a very, very powerful force. Yeah, I mean, it can change your mood very quickly. And I think it's important to also like laugh at yourself and not take oh, yourself yeah. too seriously because, I mean, life is short and anything can happen. So having some kind of sense of humor and finding, you know, the positive and, you know, smiling or laughing about things and looking things in, in retrospect is always important. Yep. So tell me a little bit of uh, about the documentary, when it'll be out and um, where you can find it when it comes out. Okay, yeah, well, they can actually watch the trailer uh, right now on Facebook. It's uh, the, uh, the site is American Entrepreneur Film on Facebook, where it's about a three-minute trailer there. But I was doing a, a speech for my speaking mentor, who uh, uh, her name was Dottie Walters. She's from California, and she got me into the speaking business and kind of coached me through everything. And she passed away, and they asked me to speak at her memorial service. So. So, I, of course, I you know ran right out there. I'm on the East Coast. I went out there on a very solemn occasion, and I spoke at her thing. And there was somebody in the crowd I met maybe for, I don't know, two minutes. And uh, her name was Terry Marie from Real Mountain Pictures in Hollywood. And I, I didn't know. It was just, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. How do you know Dottie and this and that? And so uh, she ended up starting following me uh, in my career, and she had done 37 documentaries. And uh, including you know, Olympic athletes and all this stuff. And so she eventually, years later, came to me and she said, I've been watching you for years. And you're really the embodiment, especially with your story of your dad coming and everything from Syria and making you into an entrepreneur. And she said, I'm doing a documentary called The American Entrepreneur. I want you to be the subject of it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. So I thought you had to be dead <laughs> the documentary. She said, no, no, you know. So uh, it's uh, so she created it over a period of a couple years, and uh, it's uh, supposed to premiere this uh, this fall sometime. And uh, it's just very humbling that she would pick me out of this whole world of you know wonderful entrepreneurs like yourself and a lot of people, all your guests and everything. So uh, so that's what it is. It's the American Entrepreneur. Uh, she's trying to make some big deals to for the premiere of where it's going to premiere. So I'm kind of out of that, but. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very proud, very humbled, and, and I'm really thrilled that, you know, it had something to do with my dad because I, I so revered him. No, that's awesome. And as you spoke, your father is obviously an immigrant and you grow up from, you know, those immigrant roots. How important do you think that uh, immigrant foundation was to your success as an entrepreneur and persevering to where you are today? Well, I think uh, it's uh, extremely important, not necessarily that it was an immigrant, but it was the fact that you know, him and his whole community were little ragamuffins with no shoes and had to struggle and fight for everything. And that's that's one thing that worries me about the current, you know, uh, ensuing generations have always, uh, the parents want to make it easier on the children. And so uh, we're at the point sometimes where they uh, the, the, the younger people can't handle everyday uh, pressures. And that's why you have a lot of gangs and drugs and alcohol abuse and therapy and all that stuff so so the, uh, and also there's something i've read the other day about you know in, an enormous amount of really famous people came out of a place in new york called hell's kitchen 
where it was just a really tough thing. So everybody there had to be tough and learn to be tough. And when they got into real life, a lot of things that would make you know, an average person just fold and give up, they were saying, ah, <laughs> that's nothing compared to, you know, getting knifed in the streets of Brooklyn, you know? So, so, uh, uh, so I think uh, his struggle to come over here on a cattle boat and I mean, the dung filled cattle boat in the steerage section, which is where all the crap is. And then fighting as a kid to just survive and, uh, and uh, shining shoes at 10 years old made him so tough. And of course he passed that on to me because uh, we, we were taught as kids, I mean, we had, we, we were not poor by any means, but we were taught you can have whatever you want if you work for it. And don't cry if you have a little trouble with it. Go figure out how to overcome it. In fact, I don't know, do you, you remember the uh, guy Johnny Cash, the, uh, the singer? Yes, I do. Okay, well, he did a song called uh, A Boy Named Sue. And the gist of the song was an old drunk cowboy named his kid Sue because the cowboy figured he wouldn't be there to raise him and he wanted to make him tough. Well, my dad, uh, when I was in his 50s when he had me, I was a baby of six boys, and, and he figured he wouldn't be around. And so uh, he told me when I was a baby, just crawling, he would put pillows in front of me and put my toys on the other side to force me to, to teach me how to overcome obstacles. And that's so since the time I could even crawl. And so to this day, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm unstoppable. Now, I won't cheat anybody or step on anybody or hurt anybody to get where I'm going. But if you tell me I can't do something, you better get out of the way as I blow by you doing it. So one of the other big things I wanted to pass on to your to your uh, listeners is extreme tenacity and persistence and sets you far above your competitors and help you overcome adversities that that uh, that you run into in, in life. So that's like I said, he was only went to second grade and he was smart enough to make you know to do this for his children to make them tough and be able to handle without him being no i agree um i came to the united states in 1990 when i was five with my family from ukraine oh, wow. wow and it was coming from you know still a communist situation so i still remember and i've been back there after the fact how life is here compared to there and people that come from these like you know adverse situations they, they are kind of like battle hardened and already tested and don't fold like you said yeah, in, in pressures right. of life yeah, that's right. And, uh, and a lot of the people that are screaming about this country, I wish they could at least experience some of what it's like other places. And then maybe they'd appreciate it a little bit more here because uh, we really have a have a, a good life here in the United States. Yeah, and I think it's uh, everyday problems or things that people are, you know, complain about. And, you know, there's too much sugar in my coffee or stuff like oh, that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rather than having clean drinking water or dying of malaria or exactly. in a war-torn area. So it's perspective. And I think it's a first world versus third world kind of mentality. Yeah, that's so good. I wish everybody, uh, I don't wish it on them, but I wish they could experience what other people have, go through on an everyday basis just to live just to survive in fact i had a friend of mine that's a speaker uh, came from haiti and his mother would uh, stand out outside their little hut which was nothing but nothing i mean dirt and she would uh, uh had a big cauldron and she would just you know cook water because she was so embarrassed there was no food 
you know, so she didn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody else. And, uh, you know, oh, my God. I mean, uh, now, you know, we're all overweight. I mean, you're not. I saw a picture. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the, the bulk of the country just has it so easy now compared to what these people go through. yeah and i think when i when i do travel overseas and places you know all over the world i try to see where the people actually live and not like a gated area where it's just right. a you know the tourist traps are actually go and see how people are living what they're doing how they're you know persevering and striving to to succeed in different situations because in every country you're going to have you know rich poor and the majority obviously or are not necessarily rich or affluent so those people are struggling every day to uh, make it. Right, and and that, uh, and like I said, I don't wish bad things on people, but I wish, here's what I do wish. I wish every parent now would make their kid work at a fast food restaurant or a restaurant to understand service, understand earning a dollar and what it's worth and what other people have to go through and, and learn the concept of service rather than entitlement. So that's what I wish. No, I agree. I mean, I, I worked at restaurants and, and stores and things of that nature and construction when I was younger and started working when I was 14. So I understand that you know concept. So what's one thing you can leave with the audience in terms of advice, professional or personal, that they can kind of take away? Well, when people ask me, like, Tom, how have you been successful? And it's not because I'm some brilliant genius. It's because with, with what my dad taught me, if everybody out there could be persistent, in other words, don't quit. That's an old cliche kind of thing, but don't quit. Keep going because many people around you will quit and then pretty soon you'll be leading the pack. So persistency, important. Consistency, extremely important. I want to know, Roman, if I'm dealing with you, I want to know what to expect. I don't want to be surprised all the time that you're there one minute, you're gone the next, and uh, you know, I have no idea what to uh, expect from you. Uh, with me, people know what to expect. I mean, they might not always like it, but they can. They know, look, he says what he's going to do, he walks his talk, and that you know that's a very big thing with us older generation, especially with the younger people coming up and want to be successful. Well, they can impress the heck out of us, the older people with the money, if they would just be consistent because so many of their brethren and their peers aren't. So you can stand out so far above the crowd if you're just consistent. And then here's another big pet peeve of mine is it just be on time or early, you know, and I was talking to a, I was interviewing on one of my podcasts, the, the Gen Z expert. I don't, I forget what that is exactly, but, but uh, she said, you know, time is kind of flexible with these, you know, this generation. And I, see, the old guy like me is thinking, you mean if I have a shop, I'm supposed to put a sign on the door, open at nine, I don't know, maybe 10, depending on when they show up, the employees show up. You know, so, so it really impresses the heck out of me and many people like me if you're on time or early. And uh, just little things like that can set you far above and, and really contribute to a lot of success for people in today's generation if they would just take that to heart. No, I think that's really important. And I'm still in that kind of millennial generation, which has its kind of stereotypes that are negative in terms of work ethic and stuff like that. But I think uh, keeping your word and doing what you you know promise to do is important as well. Absolutely. So I really appreciate you coming on today. Can you share with the audience how they can find you or some of the things you have going on? Well, yeah, we've got a great uh, freebie for them, and we're going to make a special page on our site uh, for you 
uh, as the uh, kind enough to, uh, to host me on this podcast. So if they go to my podcast, it's called Screw the Commute because <laughs> I've never had a job. So it's screwthecommute.com slash Roman. And I'm going to give them one of my uh, eBooks. We've sold hundreds and hundreds of these at $27, but I'm going to give it to your audience. It's called uh, How to Automate Your Business. And I've had as many as 150,000 subscribers and 40,000 customers that I was able to handle with one temp person, part-time temp person. So it's lots of techniques. In fact, one of the things they'll learn from the book, Roman, uh, has saved me 7 million keystrokes. You know, just one little inexpensive ten dollar you know little utility thing on my computer so so they're gonna get that and then also there's a white paper there on if they have any interest in podcasts is what I learned from doing 120 high quality podcasts so they can get that from just going to your page on our site screwthecommute.com slash Roman and it leads to all the ways to contact me I'm pretty much the most accessible guy on earth at my level. So if they have questions or anything, I'm happy to talk about internet marketing, uh, professional level speaking, entertainment, things like that. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.